Welcome to the Small Scale Life Podcast. Live from Minneapolis, this is a Small Scale Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Tom Domris. Oh, we're live streaming on YouTube, second time in a night. This hasn't been done yet on the Small Scale Life, but I was feeling good. Why not give it a shot, you know? Plus, I promised some folks that I would get this podcast rolled out. Uh, we are live streaming on YouTube, and I would like to welcome all of our listeners and viewers there, especially our insiders from the Small Scale Life Facebook group. Thank you for tuning in in and welcome to the show. I have a great episode of the Small Scale Life for you tonight. This is season two, episode 16, where I interview the Michael Jordan. The Michael Jordan. Not the MVP, not the MVP basketball player, though, but he is an MVP beekeeper and award-winning mead maker. Michael is a husband, a father, a teacher, a bee whisperer, and an entrepreneur. I had such a good time and learned so much from Michael on the show that there are times when I was just speechless. It's kind of funny. I was just talking to my sister-in-law uh, over Facebook, and she said I must have a man crush on Michael Jordan. Nah, he's an expert, and I, I appreciate people who know their craft and are really good at it. So I really appreciate the time he spent taking me, talking with me and taking me on his journey as he uh, talks about mead and bees, businesses, and teaching others. I'm still blown away by this interview. It's really good. Um, because Michael and I had such a great conversation that lasted about three hours, um, I'm going to have to break this interview into two or three different podcasts for you. In this podcast, we're going to focus on Michael's journey into bee beekeeping and mead making, and we will be uh, discussing facets of the beekeeping business. Part two, we'll dive into more of the beekeeping business, and then part three, we'll actually have answers to questions provided by um, my audience, the small-scale life folks and people around the net, um, about beekeeping issues. You won't want to miss those shows. They're really good. <clears throat> Uh, before we begin, I wanted to thank Drew Sample from the Sample Hour uh, for connecting Michael and me. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you, my friend. I owe you a nice cold uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon at Hogtoberfest. Well, something anyway. We'll figure that out when we get there, right? So thank you, Drew Sample. You're, a, you're awesome, man. Okay, in case you're new to Small Scale Life, this is a blog and podcast dedicated to developing a sustainable life through gardening, healthy living, frugal living, and having adventures along the way. At Small Scale Life, we're always dedicated to learning, doing, and growing. This podcast is brought to you by the Small Scale Life Facebook group and the Small Scale Gardening Facebook group. Before we begin our interview with Michael Jordan, let's hear from our sponsors. Hey everybody, just wanted to remind you about the Small Scale Life Facebook group. This group will give you a backstage pass and access to other members of the Small Scale Life community. We'll discuss gardening, healthy lifestyle, frugal living, and having adventures along the way. This is also your chance to see what's coming up on Small Scale Life. See some content not shared on the blog and ask questions of future guests. Join Small Scale Life's Facebook group today. Do you want to share your gardening story and experiences? Do you have questions about plants, blight, or critters? Do you want to join a fun community online? You should join us at the Small Scale Gardening Facebook group. I created this group in April of 2015 so that people could share their gardening and harvest preservation stories. 
Our group has everything from container gardeners to homesteaders to urban farmers. Stop by and take a look around and share your story. Continue to learn, do, and grow on the Small Scale Gardening Facebook group. All right. Enough from our sponsors. Thank you. And now we are going to dive into this interview. Now, as I mentioned, this is a pre-recorded interview. So we're going to roll this here. And um, I'm going to jump on uh, uh, YouTube. And if there's any comments there, um, I'll be communicating with them and also listening to the show. So I'll finish up at the end, uh, provide some thoughts, and then uh, we'll wrap it up for the night for the uh, 4th of July weekend. So this is kind of a little bonus track, so it's going to be great. So uh, sit back and enjoy our conversation with Michael Jordan, bee whisperer, beekeeper extraordinaire, as he talks about his beekeeping journey. I have a very special guest today on the Small Scale Life podcast. Our guest today is the one and the only Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of like 1,300 in, in the United States. Yeah. I think the, the basketball player, Michael Jordan, is only like seven years older than I am and anyway. so I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Um, it's somebody, It's something we talked about for a while it's been a while in the works but uh the timing was right and it's great to have you on uh for those of you who don't know who michael is he's an award-winning mead maker which is awesome because <laughs> my uh my mead was not so good but we'll talk about that uh a beekeeper and small business owner you can hear him regularly regularly on jack spurko's survival podcast he's on the expert panel and drew sample sample hour podcast we're going to be diving into beehives and talking about all things bees so michael welcome to the show hey thanks man yeah i uh been catching some stuff that you guys have been doing in your area uh drew man drew's like mass like circuit board of connection of everybody oh. in the world of like homesteading farming get out of your house never watch tv again you <laughs> anarchist burn down your house <laughs> yeah so after uh after talking to him, yeah, I get to I get to meet some some pretty good some some pretty good guys and oh yeah, Drew's got an ex Drew's got an excellent group out out east and yeah, he is so connected and that's one thing that I regret is that I didn't go to Permaculture Voices where you were there, all those guys were there because there's just so much brain power that's there, so many cool people and now we just have to build on our own. So I have them on one by one on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a that was a a different uh, realm of people that I've, I've, I've never encompassed before. And when I talked to uh, Diego about uh, talking about bees and, you know, he, he, you know, they're, you know, they're big on uh, taking permaculture to a business level, right? That yeah. Not only should you be able to do this to produce food for everybody, but there should be aspects that, you know, anything from insurance companies, insuring permaculture villages mm -hmm. farms to building equipment i mean that's kind of like what permaculture voices was it was not only getting how what permaculture was but it was like massive ideas of people like how to stock and save seeds uh devices you know that's that's how the ribbon planter people got to actually see the ribbon planter mm -hmm. and how how it was used before because you know people are like well you know i'm hand stitching seeds or i got paper towel and i have a hot glue gun and I put that as a hot glue and my wife goes behind me and puts the seeds on these paper towels. And then we lay it all out, you know, to, to see all these different things on a scale was different there at Permaculture Voices. But, you know, when, when you talk about those people in, in those areas, like I said, I met Greg Burns and 
those I met them at Permaculture Voices, so that was a, a good meet and greet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get into Permaculture Voices and stuff until I met Jack Spearco, and that's on a whole different end. That's more of economical survivalism, right? I don't think people, you know, when people think about survivalism or anything, he talks modern f- f- uh, survival survivalism, and when he's talking about that, it's about mostly securing your your monetary wealth, and if that means like you have to grow your own food to save more money, you grow your own food, if, right? You know, if you got to downsize on a business and move to a different state because it's economically better for you so you can be more stable, that's what you do. So he's on a whole different end. So permaculture voices were more people getting into the earth and dwelling. Jack's more of money orientation and, and prepping for a venture at home. Uh, there's a, another gentleman, he does a, a podcast uh Oh, like a home homesteading podcast. Oh and, yeah, and uh, you know that's that's more of reaching out to uh, woodsmen and more skill sets for people that are primitive, right? Right. So you, you said you know so there's a job of, of everybody having their own own task when you get on these on these things. I mean, like when I got a hold of Drew, he shot me uh, a podcast that you did with a local guy in your area that works oh, yeah. in Florida. He's uh, moving bees and stuff. He works with the guy at 400 highs. I mean, I tune in. I listen. You know, I I think that the more that you, you know, I don't know everything. I know a lot. I spent a lot of money traveling the world, around the world to learn what I, I learned. And the program that I wrote for the United Nations for youth organizations, I spent a lot of time doing it. But, man, there's, there's everything from Michael Bush. There's uh, the Barefoot Beekeeper out of the U.K., uh, there's Tom Thor. There's uh, there's so there's Top Bar Beekeeping with Les Crowder. Uh, there's the Eco Bee Friendly uh, Bee Box with Albert Korbacek. I mean, there's just so many different types of beehives, yeah. beekeepers trying all different kinds of cool stuff. That I mean, you have to if you if you're if you're a geek or a nerd like I am when it comes <laughs> to that type of stuff, you tune in and you do a spectrum of all kinds of stuff and. The reason I got into Jack stuff was I wanted to hear more about how I was adjusting to a home scale lifestyle because I went from making $180,000 a year to dropping and scaling all the way back after a car accident to do this home scale lifestyle. After I saw how the world was, people yep. eating newspaper out of the gutter, dipping it in mud puddles and eating it and stuff, I had to change. So I tuned into him. Once I found about permaculture, I use that to grow more flowers so I can so I can get the best nectar flows in mine area. I went into beekeeping and traveled all over the world so I and how to take those best plants and raise bees to pollinate them the best to get the best honeys. So I could turn around and use on my four hundred year old to you know a couple thousand year old, I think that dated back to uh, nine oh seven AD but mead recipe. So I did everything wow. for one class so I could get the best nectar flows from the best plants to get the best honey so I could make the finest meads. And that was like my my uh, my goal. And on that trip, it, 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 John did clear off on a whole nother vision of helping kids uh, around the world grow their own food and pollinate their plants by bees that could produce products for them so they could make money for their communities for themselves and also produce food products that are better for 
all over in orphanages around the world. So, I mean, I jumped off on one, one jargon to learn to teach kids. And now I'm kind of, now that I've got my programs running where people are seeing how they're working, uh, you know, I'm getting calls to come out to specific beekeepers to readjust their apiaries. Mm-hmm. I get uh, phone calls from interesting people that want to get into bees, you know, that we won't mention their names, but you know, I, I deal with some higher clientele people now cool, because of what I've got to see. And like, uh, you know, I can teach how to keep bees in a shed. So nobody knows you have them <laughs> to running a bee yard that operates 2000 beehives. If you want to go into a commercial scale to, if you live in India or, you know, somewhere South of the border towards Mexico and somewhere and you want to get industrial beekeeping where you want to produce tons of packages of bees to sell on the open market around the world, man. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's one of the largest businesses is, is that industrial level of, of only making bees constantly breeding bees, genetically modifying the bees. I mean, that's how we started getting bigger bees the way it is. So sure. I mean, after I learned, I mean, I, my whole skill set is beekeeping and fuel. <laughs> if I can, if I can, that's, that's, I think that mead making's in between there because sometimes my mead can be used as fuel. So, I mean, that's, that's my genre of experience. Uh, your gentleman that you had on before yes. on, on your podcast, uh, you know, very knowledgeable, mm-hmm. uh, said some great things. Uh, mentorship. Mentorship is huge. I don't think people understand that in your beekeeping over your lifetime span, you're going to spend a lot of money on education. Oh yeah, definitely. and if it's not from going to, like uh, I teach at the University of Wyoming's Bee College, which is one of the larger Midwestern organizations that people come from all over the world to come and learn about beekeeping. I mean, to go to that is three days. Not, not only is it like seventy-five to one hundred dollars for the ticket, you're talking plane flights, you're mm-hmm. talking hotel rooms, dinners, going out and mingling with all the other people. I mean, it's like permaculture voices. In the beekeeping world, that's this is one cool. of those meetings for like that, right? So, you know, so there's so that's one of the things that you're going to probably pay for, and some people go every year to it to mingle and see stuff. But you know, you're also going to maybe see less Crowder. Sure, he might be doing a top on beekeeping, and you know, to see him, that's like one in a lifetime opportunity. So, yeah, I may pay fifty bucks to hear him talk about his trips and how he got into Kenya top bar beekeeping, and you know, then I uh, register for my twenty five to $75 a year beekeeping club because mm-hmm. I joined an organization so I can mingle with other beekeepers. So now just in going to this one group a year, I'm talking a couple thousand dollars to my local dues to buying beekeepers for dummies. Oh, yeah. Another book, another guy recommended. I bought these two videotapes. I, I registered at Perma Ethos and took one of Michael Jordan's courses. Uh, you know, I, after a while, you know, you've dumped 500 to a thousand dollars just in education. And you haven't got any bees. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I, I want people to really think about that, that if you're going to get into beekeeping, don't get bee lust. Don't get a top bar hive. Don't get a Langstroth hive. Don't get an eco box hive. Don't get a Slovak hive. I mean, don't get a whole bunch of different equipment that don't go together. Sure. Because now you spend a whole bunch of money trying to manage four or five different systems. Yeah, they're cool. I got a couple top bars. I got a couple Langstroths. Right? Do they intersect? No, not really. But you know, they're kind of cool. But if you're going to get into beekeeping, get three to five beehives. 
Okay. Get a system that you're going to use, like the Rosewood method or a Langstroth system. Or I have three systems that we teach just for Langstroth, and one of them is just for kids in general hmm. on how to use Langstroth beekeeping. So, I mean, figure out what kind of, you know, are you doing a weir? You know, that's a, what we call a hybrid beekeeping. That's, that's Langstroth beekeeping with top bar system, right? And that's weir. So, I mean, you got to figure out what you want to do and what that system's for. Is that system, your friend that was on before, he was a pollinator, yeah. right? They were, honey, they were honey flow guys and pollinators. Did he talk a lot about collecting swarms? No, nope. they're too busy checking boxes and stuff. If the bees swarm, I really don't care. I got, you know, I've got 400 hives to, you know, a thousand hives that work. And I don't got time to manage swarm keeping and swarm catching. And I don't have time for the guy that says, hey, man, I got bees in my house. Can you get them out? You have to tell somebody else, man. My time is I got to move these bees to the next location. I got to make sure they have enough feed because I'm downsizing them every time as I go to keep so they don't swarm. So I have big populations when I go to the next field. So, I mean, his beekeeping, his, his beehives, his whole system is one way. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you get a beehive, what do you want? Do you want wax production? Do you want honey production? Do you want pollen production? Do you want pollination? Are you using uh, micro systems? to do overpopulation and selling of bees? Do you want to do a little bit of everything? Do you want to rotate all those systems and try them at a different level to see what you kind of like as an educational basis? Are you sticking cell phones in a beehive to see what they do, getting a grant like I did? I mean, those are- Wow, that's really cool. You know, what What do you want to do yeah. independently if you're going to be a beekeeper? Because if you don't know what you're going to do, please leave them the hell in the damn tree and leave them the hell alone. Because they're going to pollinate right where they are in a tree. Somebody in your neighborhood's probably already a beekeeper. If you know, if you don't have bees in your area, you don't have to get honey bees. There's mason bees. There's bumblebees. There's leaf cutter bees. Some of them sting. Some of them don't sting. Really, weigh your options in beekeeping. I mean, uh, I got into beekeeping in 1999 after recovering from a huge car accident, and I was learning to read, write, walk, talk again. Wow. I just I just retired uh, from the Army Corps of Engineers where I spent I got my 10 years in. I got out. I was getting ready to do some other things. I got in a car accident. So as I was rehabilitating my life, I read a book about mead making from my grandfather. I had to make mead, made mead during my rehabilitation and won some awards. And the next thing you know, we went from Three beehives to 2,200. We were in California pollinating almonds. That's a we lot of bees. That's crazy. That's a oh, lot yeah, of then bees. We from, yeah, then we went from 2,000 beehives down to 500. Yeah. And donated a whole bunch to Katrina victims in Louisiana so they could rebuild their bee yards. I mean, after seeing poisoned honey, uh, bad beekeeping habits and pesticide use, the trouble people have with bad bees, hot bees, Africanized bees. Yeah. Seeing kids overseas that are dipping newspaper in mud puddles and stuff. You know, getting a tax write-off. Yeah, I got a huge tax write-off for donating the bees. Of course I did. But I didn't have to work them as much. And I could donate my time more to other things. And You know, right now, I try to keep under 500 bees. We have 173. When I get about 250, I start selling them. And I move sure. them around. And I donate them to Boys and Girl Scouts. And Stuff like that, because uh, my thing now is 
I went from lear uh, learning about mead making to getting a couple packages of bees and uh, I lost everything. Uh, man, I did it three times. I got, I was reading so much information from everywhere. I was trying micro bees with the wrong frames and the wrong hives and I was using the wrong system. And then I got a mentor and I learned this whole system of beekeeping. So then I got into where I was a massive pollinator where we took 2000 hives to California to pollinate almond fields, regrouped all my money back, broke even, got out of there by sending the beehives to Louisiana on Katrina, regrouped, took my money and I went on a tour to learn beekeeping in India, Turkey, Ireland, that's an amazing story, uh, too. Yeah, and just and got back to the United States and made this program where if you manage bees at different levels to do, like if I want wax production or, you know, we want to sell pollen or we want to sell honey or we do want to be a pollen. You know, if you, if you learn these managerial skills, you can make money and you can train other people to do this to make money. That beekeeping is a billion-dollar business with a bee. Mm -hmm. uh, a beehive rents for $150 a month to pollinate a field. So if I have 1,000 beehives, you know, that's $100,000. If I pollinate the almond field with 1,000 beehives for three months, that's $300,000. You know, after that, all I have to do is make sure I got them, I can use half that money to keep the bees alive for next year. Then the other half pays my expenses and for me to live. Do I live big? No, man, I got $75,000, but I'm off uh, October, November, December, and January. Yeah. So yeah. five months out of the year, I don't work at all because it's winter and the bees don't do shit. Right, right, right. right, right but right. January, I send them right out to the almond field. I dump them out there. I got a thousand beehives making a hundred thousand dollars a month. I got February, March, and April. I bring them back. I split them down. I sell some packages. I use some of the packages to make sure my beehives make it next year. And I get a little bit of honey, which is extra money. I get a little pollen. It's a little extra money. I get some propolis. It's a little extra money. I sell some packages of bees. It's a little extra money. I sell, I do some classes at my local 4-H building or annex buildings, and I make a little extra money. So I get a little more money on the top. Is it a, a, a thing about making money for me? No, because I'm still working at a school, an alternative high school, teaching troubled youth different aspects of business from raising chickens to limousine companies to, right, I'm, I'm trying to get them out in the workforce. Sure. If I wanted to go back to pollinate and be in California and not home, I'd regroup and build my beehives to be a pollinator. I don't want to do that. I want to live here in Wyoming. I want to go and teach beekeeping to people that want to learn on, a, on a, a little superior level that I'm just not going to get you a backyard beekeeper. I mean, to come to one of my programs, and, I mean, after you talk to Greg Burns and stuff, that yep. you know, it's a, uh, I'm on a huge advanced level that I'm, I'm skipping some things to try to make you queen more, to split more, so you can have more populations of bees as some of my more programs, and they're more dedicated for kids. Mm. A lot of times that, you know, I was, I was down in Tyler, Texas, there's a a boy's home down there. Yeah, you got me there. You let me stay. Did I make a lot of money? No, actually, that was a loss for me. But I got to teach them uh, at a boy's home. I got to teach them how to build beehives right? right. Uh, out of wood for wood carpenter skill. And they didn't even have to touch bees. 
taught them how to make them so that those uh, superior beehive that they could go work for Dannet or even work for other companies that want to make beehives using rabbit joints or the, the way I want to do them with the metal bands on the sides for no rot, no decay, heavy barrier for bouncing around for construction. I mean, so teaching these skills to these kids, yeah, I didn't really lose anything, but I didn't make any money either. But I got to go see some things that I wanted to see. I got to teach some people a great skill. Um, I think it's a, I think those are some of the things that, that you have to think about in your beekeeping. Sure. So that, that's where my company came from. Is I went from, I wanted to be a, a mead maker. So I went to learn the best way to be a beekeeper so I could find the best floral and how to work the bees so I could produce the best honeys to locate the best honeys, to find out what the best florals are for honeys to make fine meads. And right. you know, I make, I make some exotic fine meads that some of them are $250 a gallon just to make. Wow. All right. You know, so you're making, you know, most people are like, huh, wow, dude, I make a gallon of meat at my house for 17 bucks. <laughs> I'm kind of there. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not throwing gold flakes in your meat. No. You're not using cannabis oils and THC's oils or, you're not shipping in Monoluca honey from New Zealand and you're not doing some, you know, I'm doing some, I've working with beekeepers that make some finer honeys to, you know, Himalayan red honey. That's hallucinogenic. And oh my gosh, you know, I'm working with some, some finer stuff to get out a product that, you know, the Kings had yeah. Kings meeting, man. I'm, I'm not just throwing some honey down baby and some yeast. I'm getting something out there that when you pass it around, people are like, man, no wonder that that king of that area, man, his mead maker's the finest. Hmm. Because that's what I learned about beekeeping is when I went back to Ireland is that the kings owned the beekeepers. The kings told which lands got pollinated. The beekeeper would go out, pollinate this guy's land based on the taxes he paid. Wow. wow. That's life or death in some cases, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because if you couldn't pay taxes, your crop, well, you got crop, but you didn't get them like Terrence did. His, his orchard was huge this right. year. Well, the bees were in there. Yeah. Right? So the honey that was produced went to the baker for sweetbreads that paid mm -hmm. better taxes. Sure. Right? The churches got the wax product based on the taxes that they paid the king. Right? So beekeeping, the guy that ran the bees, he had a pretty good life because the king made lots of money off of him. Sure enough. And it was all said and done. He had this product that he made mead, the king's mead. And it was based on the fruits and the honeys of his land, of the king's land. And when the king parlayed with other kings, he would bring his mead, mm. his land, right? And you'd sit down and you'd drink, and ooh, your land's spicy. Yes, <laughs> we have peppers, and it's grand here, and the honey's dark. And, you know, and another king would be talking about the fruits and how sweet it was in his land. Yeah. And, you know, and the only time we drank mead was at a parlay. Mm -hmm. You know, friendship of sharing each other's wealth of each other's land. Or my family got married, right? It was the honeymoon mead, right? Sure, we sure. gave, so we'd have lots of kids and to have a good life and the moon of the mead, right? Yeah, uh, totally. Another one was before war. Hmm. You drank mead before you went to work because it might be the last great drink you have before your greatest death. And then wow. you drank mead when you came home to heal the wounds from the adventure that you had. Sure. That's the only time you really drank mead. And, and I mean, that's from where I looked at the adventure of mead. I mean, if you look back through the era of probably from Turkey and down to Egypt, might hear of a different story of the Egyptian tombs and processing the mead. Or if you're from China and Asia, 
their meads are different. Their stories of making meads and meaderies are different, right? It's about your, that's part of my beekeeping skills that I tell you about your history is, you know, you should find the history of all the way back to your ancestors of beekeeping, all the way down to where the beekeeping is in your area and how the bees got there all the way back to, you know, I trace my beekeeping from my mentor, the States, they're all the way back from the 1800s. They got their bees from Virginia that uh, uh, the Huffs brought over from Poland sure. to the United States. Sure. So this is like 1600. Wow. Right? That's how far back I traced the bees from Wyoming, the two beekeeping families that are the oldest beekeepers here. One is the Bryant's brothers. They have about 6,000 to 10,000 beehives in Wyoming. Wow. And they're one of the first beekeepers here. Their great-grandfather took one beehive from Virginia, brought it here, and now they have 10,000 beehives. That's amazing. Uh, Jack State, my mentor, their same family story, went to the Sand Springs area. He ended up becoming the entomologist for the University of Wyoming. Wow. And then beekeeping on a level for pesticide use and how, how to uh, profit for beekeeping for the United States Department of Agriculture. Hmm. So they got their bees from West Virginia. I found out that the bees came from West Virginia from a family called Huff. 1600 from Poland, King Henry VIII's beekeepers. And then I just kind of followed like my beekeeping and where I went. Huh. Went to Turkey to find out because bees originated in the Mediterranean belt in Turkey in the Egyptian area and then brought up into Europe. Stolen by the Vikings at the same time <laughs> to make mead. That's my right, people. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Polish too, there too. So. Uh, so that's my company, right? Is we're, we're, we teach beekeeping on a superior level where we teach kids to be the big, great, all the way to commercial beekeeping for kids mm -hmm. to backyard beekeeping for somebody that just wants to have some bees for some wax, some honey. I like my garden pollinate. So we tell you the location where the bees would go, how to set them up. You know, don't set the beehives ever in your garden. No, that wouldn't be a the good The garden idea. will never get pollinated, right? So yep. people are like, well, that's where I want my bees. The garden's there. And you're like, well, the bees are never going to see it when they come out and orientate flight. They missed everything in your garden and you didn't get any pollination and you wasted your time. Well, yeah, that would so, that would be bad. <laughs> so, you know, you have to, we teach all different levels of beekeeping. And then uh, I work with, I make honey co-ops for small backyard beekeepers. So all their honey can go to one co-op. Oh, that's a smart idea. That's a real smart so idea. Then, yeah. So, you know, if you're, let's say, you know, you're a backyard beekeeper and you produce, you know, one beehive produces 20 to 30 pounds. Sure. You got five beehives. Well, that's, you know, 30 pounds and times five, you know, you look at, you know, you know, five, 1500 pounds of honey. That's a, that's a lot of honey to be packed around. Yeah. So you give out some friends, you make some different gifts, different products, make your own meat. But now I'm sitting on honey that's starting to crystallize. Yes. Well, let's just all put it together. It'll be localized raw honey. So it'll have all the pollens from around the local area all mixed together. Oh, yeah. So when we sell this nice product, the money can refund all of us as a co-op. So no one's really making any money because the co-op truly makes no money. Right, so everybody yeah. just gets the, all of it. So if I put in ten pounds, whatever we sold it all for, your half is ten pounds out of the four hundred pounds. This is your share. Huh. Thanks for contributing to the co-op. And then sometimes I buy it out of the co-op to make my needs, sure, or to fulfill some of the needs I have. I have a granola company, so most of my honey goes to a granola company that I sell to. You so have, that's oh okay. You don't own the granola company. You sell to them. Yeah, so okay. I, I looked outside the barrier. Yeah, people are like, "Well, I'm going to get honey. I'm going to go to the farmers market. 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I taught Ben McKibben for Neoteric Farms, you know, think way out of the box. He sure. says, man, I do really good at farmer's market. And I said, okay, this is, I don't sell a farmer's market. I give 4,000 pounds of honey to a granola company and I get a flat fee. It doesn't matter how much I make after that. And I give them a good raw product and I get good money for it. Then after that, it's made honey, it's farmer's market honey, sure. it's friends honey, it's gifts, it's whatever I want to do with it. But I make this demand and then I don't have to go to the farmer's market pushing it. I sell it to the one person. Huh. He goes, well, how do I do that? So now he sells his honey to a brewery. Oh, yeah. And they make a honey ale from Neoteric Farm collaboration. Mm-hmm. And now he only has to sell honey two to three times a year so they can make ale. And it just supplements his money and gets rid of most of his honey. Right, right. Right. So now he's got honey for all this stuff he does, but he doesn't have to be really farmer's market. If you tried our honey, we're local. We're right here. He's like, yeah, I've got honey, dude. It's 10 bucks a pound. Right. And they're going to go, well, I'm getting honey down the way at eight. He goes, go buy it down there, dude. I've got a premium product and I know it because the brewery down the way is buying it. And if you don't want to pay my price, you can go have a beer at the other price. I have a good product here. And then, you know, he's selling other vegetables and stuff. That's why he went from farmers markets to restaurants. Yeah, yeah. Selling his greens and stuff and salad greens to restaurants. That's that's the out of the box things that I kind of teach the kids at the alternative school. It's it's yeah, you're a good basketball player, but I'm gonna tell you, it's like American Idol. Only one of you wins, man. Yeah, that's true. None of you here are gonna be a pro basketball player, but I tell you what, you really like basketball. You have all the information, and sometimes the guys that get picked up working at a coliseum become sportscasters and they become people that are really big because they know the sport so much because I saw him every day at the Denver Broncos stadium watching football. And what did he do? He was the guy that ran the concession stand on aisle number seven and knew all the stats because he had the wide open free football field tickets. (laughs) All he did was sell hot dogs. He said, so think outside the way box and what you like and see how it makes the most money with the less effort. Yes, that is the key right there. I mean, we work so hard sometimes to make a couple bucks, and we're not thinking bigger like that. That's amazing. Maybe I should go to school, go have you be my teacher for a while. <laughs> or my boys, my boys for sure, man. They're just, one just got out of the Army, and then the other one's just going to go to college, and it's like, mm, maybe you know, let's, let's think about this a little bit. There's other ways to go. You know, there's other ways to go at life, not just college. Everybody's not a college graduate. Correct. Not everybody's military. Not everybody's a ditch digger, but we need lots of them. Right. Like I said, I went to California and I was living, you know, if you listen to Drew's show about me, I talk about living on the beach and yep. eating ravioli out of a can. And then I got this gig of selling shower heads to hotel rooms and went from sand fleas biting my unmentionables to <laughs> uh, making, you know, a hundred, hundred plus thousand dollars in six months selling shower heads to get me into school, investing in myself, invest in yourself, invest in yourself, don't invest in anyone else. Yeah, right. They, Don't be yeah, giving yeah. money away thinking that someone's going to make you money. Nope. You need to put that money in you because you're the only one that's going to make that money. That, that's going to make that life-changing event. That's going to invent that new light bulb that's going to change the world. Because if you're investing in somebody else, they'll change the world and you'll be the guy standing behind going, I wasted my money. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally, totally, totally. totally. <laughs> that, that story about the book um, from Drew's podcast with you, I mean, that was really the – that was like the tipping point for you. It seemed, you know, uh, it was one tipping point anyway, where you found this book and had it translated. Can you tell about, tell us about that a little bit? 
yeah, so like I said, I'm rehabilitating and uh, I'm just learning to read write again. And my grandfather died at the same time as I'm doing this. So as my mom's really helping rehabilitate me, she's going through the attics and getting stuff of his to get rid of. And I'm going through it. Found this old ledger and it was written on potato skin. It's kind of weird it's looking. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, it had Gaelic ruins on it and some Northlandic ruins on it. And it had some uh, pictures on it and it was written in Gaelic and stuff. So, I took it to the University of Wyoming and I had a friend go through it and he started doing some translations and stuff through it and went through it. It was a, it was like almost like a kid's story. And it talked about the Vikings, how they came across the land looking to enslave uh, the, the land because if they could control the land, they could control the food. Right. How you controlled the food was by pollination and they brought bees in hmm. and the Vikings were coming in to steal the bees because they made a thing called mead. And then oh, it yeah. talked about the sugars from the earth. It talked to, it, it talked about all these different things of where the sun, how it makes the nectar and how it makes this king's mead. And how the Vikings came in to try to steal these hives to make this king's mead. And on our lands of Ireland, the nectar was the best from periwinkle and clover. Huh. So it made, you know, so it told this adventure of making king's mead. And I made I made what it said, and you know I set I set water out for three months, wow. uncovered with cheesecloth on it. I used a pollen from for yeast, and I made this mead, and it took almost two years to make it. Wow! And as I'm making this mead, and it's going, you know, I'm looking really into meats, and I found some quick batch kits, and I found some books, and I really got into mead making, and then I made some really good meads, and. Entered a couple competitions and then I pulled out my king's mead. After three years, I had some beehives that they weren't really working out at the time. But I was, you know, I had these products that were coming out, and I won a a, a France event on my king's mead for our natural fermentation. Wow, really? Yeah, I guess there's only like four of these natural fermentations for mead in the world, and I have one of them out of this storybook. That my grandfather had. That's amazing. So, you know, we were, you know, my family were beekeepers. And it was just kind of like the story of how we kept bees. And at the end, it says the only thing that was left on our island was this delicious drink and the bodies of the dead Vikings that were here. Wow. Because we, we kicked them out and we took the land. And then, of course, they cast out the snakes and the druids. Left. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I got, yeah, I have this, I had this, this great recipe for me, won some awards with it. And was working bees, and they just weren't working out. The bees weren't working out. I wasn't getting honey flows. I was uh, trying to find honey to make my meads. Uh, and then uh, I found my mentor, yeah. Jack States. And then my whole thing changed around, and I learned beekeeping. That's great. And I went from having uh, 10 beehives in my yard to getting a permit for a 40-acre prop to set out. 2,285 wow. beehives, and I bought out two bee companies out of California, shipped the bees to Wyoming, and started managing them. And I, for two years, we did almond contracting, and the third year after almond contracting, that's about 2006, 2007. Yep. Yep. That's yep. when uh, Katrina went through. Mm -hmm. uh, we sold out of all those beehives, got out of that, regained all our money from buying the companies out. Made a good profit, 
And me and my dad, I went on a journey of learning beekeeping from around the world, from all the different types of bees to the different types of beehives to the different types of flowers. And then we came back and wrote this program. And then this program has been picked up by all kinds of people, 4-H groups, uh, United Nations, sure. Sally Struthers orphanages. Really? Really? And it just teaches it. It just teaches you the program of of the simple scale of beekeeping and how to build many apiaries as the populations grow to build more products. How to make these products scale on a system of business where this year we do honey. We're growing as a honey company. After five years of honey, we're well known, and now we introduce a new product of beeswax. Mm. So now we expand, right? So sure. now we do this. It shows growth. We show that how you can take your companies and to grow or you fail. Yep. yep. Right. So as, as you're teaching these kids, these programs, right, that you're, you wanted to show them growth, multitude of products, how to mm-hmm. get those products, how to make the equipment for them, look for the equipment, how to expand those ideas. I mean, we teach everything just in the honey aspect. Sure. Not only sure. to produce honey how to produce Ross round honeycomb, square honeycomb for sale, hmm. how to do honeycomb in the jar, how to do fruit with honeycomb in the jar, how to extract the honey naturally so it's got chunks of wax in it, how to spin honey. Hmm. We also tell you how to make creamed honeys, how to add additives to the creamed honeys to make cinnamon apple creamed honey Ooh, or pecan good. creamed honey, Ooh, how to turn good. around and take those products and make powdered honey. Right. So, I mean, so we're, all those things are honey. That's just one thing that you can sell. And it's not only are those products just with the honey. Would you like to make a honey nut barbecue sauce? So now yes. you'll need honey. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so we're going to teach you how to look for people that are looking for honey. Honey nut Cheerios, ketchup people, barbecue people, soap, shampoo companies, uh, people that make body scrubs. Right. So. Those are just the honey products out of the nine products that we teach wow. the beekeeping, right? So each one of those has many products. So you can just, we do honey. We do 13 different things with honey. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So, you know, do you guys do bee removal? No, that's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother thing that this guy teaches a whole nother business aspect to an aspect where you can be really big living in Texas and Louisiana where it's hot. You have bee swarms constantly year-round. Sure. And it even could be more dramatic that we specialize in Africanized bee removal. Oh, yeah. Or we're a swarm-catching people, and we teach local clubs and organizations how to group crop on catching swarms so everybody gets bees, and bees don't infiltrate and make problems in other people's homes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we have the mobile bee trap that's on our YouTube channel where we show, so if you guys put these up, you can control swarming out of apiaries. For a big, like your gentleman that was on, we have 400 highs. I don't have, you know, we don't talk about swarm catching, you know. If they swarm when we get them, it's cool other than that. But if you work with a guy that specializes in that, sure, he could put swarm traps around their facility. They wouldn't lose as many bees. Mm. And they could work asymbiotically, either selling some of those swarms, repopulating some of his losses, or the guy using them to build his new apiary. That's smart. So, I mean, there's, there's so many different realms. And all different ones, it's propolis. You can sell the propolis to a facility in Texas, and they do testicular and breast cancer research with it. That's amazing. There's people that do bee sting therapy. You go to bee first acupuncture therapy? stuff. Yeah, oh, right. I mean, so I mean, there's 
I'm getting ready to get my AP, AP therapy license here in two years. <laughs> the lady, Raina Carlson, that's the number one bee therapist in the United States, is kind of working with me. Wow. I mean, like I said, I, I have bee lust. I have all the beehives. I have all the smokers. I have all the different kinds of bees. I, I try to do all the stuff so you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I spent a, a lot great of money. Slogan. I like that. I like that. And I mean, I spent a lot of money to learn this trade yeah. and to learn it on a level that if you want to just have a beehive in your backyard, that's cool. Or if you want it on a level where, yeah, I want to have 2,000 beehives, Michael, what do we got to do? Well, we got to build pallets so they can hold these beehives. We need oh, to yeah. find a co-op. Mm-hmm. You just can't get a contract. Right. I mean, the contracts are all built up. Some people may never have bees and own a contract. Huh. Right. I got this almond grove that I got to get a million beehives to. Right. I don't. I don't have any bees. Right. But I have this right. contract. I know. And people. they're paying me two hundred. Yeah, they're paying me two hundred dollars a hive to pollinate the almonds. So then I call the big bee companies. I said, "So who are you selling? You know, do you got bees that want to come in? Huh. Well, I've only got like five hundred. Well, then I start calling, and then they all co-op, and these semi trucks come out with five different bee companies pollinating together to come out to fill my contract wow. because I got to fill this contract to pollinate these almonds. And that's how, I mean, that's how that all works. So that's I mean, just, it's, uh, it's a huge business. That's pollination contracts. That just um, blows my mind. Really? Oh uh, yeah. You, yeah. You go from almonds to oranges, to apples, yep. to cucumbers, yep. to melons, back to the clover fields, to the berries, pack them, winterize them, send them back out to the almonds, the oranges, to the apples, to the cucumbers, to the berries. Don't forget the cranberries up in Wisconsin and Michigan. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, and there's some guys that that's, that's all they do is berries. Sure. Right, and that's also specialized berry honey, right? Your blackberry honeys, right? They're only coming from blackberry nectar, which gives a whole different taste to the honey than orange blossom honey or monoluca honey or nativio honey. I mean, so... Those are all different flavored honeys that I work with even brokers that sell 45 to 125 different honeys from all around the world that you can try. Holy smokes. Yeah. So, so you had a picture on your uh, Facebook page of a, of a red honey that had fruit or something. What was that? Well, uh, that's a, that came from that photo was sent to me from a friend that's uh, out of Panama. Oh, okay. Okay. Right, and what he has is he has a, a it's a, a, a Toblo melon, I think is what it's called. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up real quick because he said it to me. He goes, because I feed my bees watermelon. Oh, okay. And it sometimes gives them some red tip. I make some Mendocino cherries, the mm-hmm. the cherries you know you put in your drinks. Sure. I have a friend that works for a company that makes those. So he'll send me a five-gallon bucket full of them. And then when I get watermelons on sale, I cut the tops off the watermelon and use a paint mixer, mash up the whole inside. Sure. And then pour some water, pour some honey, and pour some Montecito cherry juice in there. And it changes the color of the honey. Oh, yeah. We do it because as, bees, as the bees eat it, you can see the male drones turn red. Oh, cool. You can just kind of see their digestive tract when you're teaching kids. But he said, uh, this is, uh, it's called vermello, the mellow fruit, V-E-R. M-E-L-H-O. It's a fruit of Panama. And what they do is they leave it out and kind of mash it up. The bees really like to eat it. And the bees take in the sweet juices from the fruit back as a nectar to store as the honey. Sure. So the honey is a red strawberry-looking honey. It tastes kind of like strawberries. Wow, that's really cool. It's a natural way. It's just something natural the bees are picking up. I mean, uh, another another one is, you know, uh, 
there was a guy in Pennsylvania by the uh, Hershey Park, Pennsylvania, where they make oh, the sure. M&Ms. Yep, yep. So yep. the bees got into the M&M factory, got the greens and blues, and they had greens and blues honey. <laughs> but, you know, you can't sell those because those are a non-natural viable product, right, sure. that have many tons of additives in it. Oh, yeah. It's probably not good for the bees, but, yeah. you know, bees downtown are going to hit the local McDonald's trash cans for all the soda pop the kids throw away. Oh, yeah. If you go to your local zoos and amusement parks, you can see be careful. Make sure all our trash cans are closed so we do not have bee problems. Right. Because when you're dumping 40 pounds of cotton candy and uh, snow cones in those trash cans, the bees are like, sugar, right? Yeah. They go right to it. So, you know, those those make different things. But there's natural ways that you can do uh, coloring to honey, huh. right? So you can uh, – that. there's a natural way. It's like I'm doing watermelons and stuff. This gentleman's using the vermella fruit. Uh, you can take and uh, take honey – and then blend in different colors to it. So you can add apple juice to your honey. Cool. Now remember any type of juice that you add to it and water starts fermentation. Sure. So you do it in small amounts to feed back to the bees, right? I'm big on making teas for bee feeds, hmm. adding like chamomile, adding peppermint, uh, uh, echinacea, just some stuff to help with the digestive stuff with the bees. Cause the bees get into a whole bunch of crap. They get dysentery and no oh, sure. So, you know, I, I try some more natural methods. I mean, you could get bee pro and stuff like that from Danit or Manlay mm-hmm. and feed the bees to help them. But, you know, you can, you can get some natural teas and make some teas, mixing some honey and doing a more natural method. Uh, I'm big on using uh, thyme. Sure. And so my bee mix because it's a regenerative brain and cognitive memory thing. You know, your bees are flying. They're hitting the leaves on the trees. The dust is hitting them. They're knocking their little heads. They're inside petals, busting around, you know, banging on their heads a little bit. But, you know, like I said, after my brain injury and stuff and having to re- regrow, you know, some of those things we try to use some more natural methods of regrowth. So uh, Gunther Hawk of Biodynamic Farms, it's uh, Spike Nard Farms. They have a recipe called BT Spike Nard Farms. And it talks about all that stuff, peppermint for the tummy, huh. time for their brain. Uh, Ginkgo biloba and stuff for uh, facial recognition and bee memory of using uh, ginseng and echinacea for speed and endurance and tummy evaluation. So, I mean, even some of your feeds. I think that when I got in, when I, I, I'm so deep into beekeeping, I breed my own bees, I make some of my own specialized feed. I work on a, on a level that's a little bit different. Like, so I'm the guy that put the cell phones in the beehive yeah. to see if yeah. they messed with them. And that's when the Discovery Channel found me back in, oh, it was, I think it was 2007, 2008, when they came by and they said, hey, you know, I heard you're putting these cell phones in beehives. What are you doing? I said, well, the bees are dying. The population is going to shit. They're sure. hearing all kinds of stuff. And I think it's because of only two things. I think it's bad beekeeping. I think it's the use of pesticides that's killing everything. I said, we need to adjust and, right, bats are dying. Yeah, yeah. The lady was like, what does that have to do with you? I said, well, bats eat bugs. If you're killing the bugs with mass amounts of pesticides, it kills the bats. The bats is the largest, most natural response to bugs. True. You know why you have a lot of bugs? Is you guys are killing off the bats. Yeah, true. And so, you know, if they're killing off the bats, that means you have to make more pesticides. Eventually, you're going to kill off my bees. And that was one of the big things, you know, back in 2008, nine, we did a study with the cell phones. We put the bees under big uh, electrical towers. And we just kind of found out that beekeepers were 80 and 90 years old and those boxes were heavy. 
Sure. Sure. Their kids were going to college and becoming accountants and moving to New York and not keeping bees. True. The education was based on A.E. Root and Langstra, and they were they were one was a priest and the other was a scientist. One upsized the bees, making the bees so now they have mites and trachea mites because they're so big. Yep. It's kind of like me. I'm upsized. I don't do any better. That's for damn sure. <laughs> right? So, I mean, you know, and then we've got people that are doing it on a backyard level. And when you do it on a backyard level for non-certain product, my area is different than your area and your area is different than this guy. So the books, you know, guys written one in Europe. We don't have any of the plants they do. And he's working with Buckfest Abbey bees from Buckfest Abbey where the monks used to own and work the bees naturally up in sure. the mountains of, you know, Buckfest. And we don't have any of that shit here in Wyoming. That ain't no. going to work for me here. Not in Minnesota right? and, either. You know, the, the one guy's all natural and stuff. And then you find out he's top bar beekeeping and I have none of that equipment. I read his whole book. So, I mean, it became to a thing where I found out that you should find out all the aspects when people ask questions and you should get really in deep detail and you should reach out to where this stuff's being found yeah. and find out about it because I, I, like I said, I went on a journey. Yeah, you and did. I met great beekeepers from Turkey and India. Uh, I never really got into Asia, but I did get into Australia and I met one of the largest beekeepers that sells packaged bees and even brings millions of beehives to California to help pollinate the bee fields and the almonds. Wow. So, I mean, I've got to meet some really extraordinary beekeepers on this journey. And then when people ask questions, I think it's my obligation to find out that uh, why, why do my drones have white eyes? Well, I have to look into that, right? Is it a disease? Is it a natural phenomenon? Is it albinoism? You know, I don't, I don't know. So I'm going to find out. I'm going to call the UC Davis Entomology. I'm going to call the University of Montana's Beekeeping College. I'm going to call uh, uh, Michael Bush and see what he knows about any parasites or anything in white drones, right? And then, then I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to leave you hang. I'm going to let sure. you know. Found out something that's an oddity. Send me some pictures. These other guys I'm talking to want to see it. Sounds <laughs> cool. Well, it's, right? it's a way to share knowledge. About. Yeah. Well, that was pretty incredible. Uh, great conversation with Michael Jordan there. I mean, what a story uh, from world traveler as part of the Army Corps of Engineers building fueling facilities all over to uh, having a, a significant accident. It sounds familiar to uh, to Greg Burns, where they both had a, uh, these car accidents and it was a major life-changing event. And suddenly their life is going one way, life event happens, and they take a sudden left turn or right turn, and and uh, and sends you life sends you in a new direction. It's it's a story that it's repeated over and over and over, and especially uh, Julie and I and, and our family we know that quite well. So, um, oof, that was a lot. That was a lot of information to take in, and I hope you're uh, I hope you learned a little bit there. I think um, you know I think one of the biggest takeaways from that segment of the conversation i mean i know a lot of people would say oh bee making uh, beekeeping that's a billion dollar business let's get into that you know um but there's a lot to it uh <laughs> michael jordan he traveled the world to 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 get to know these things to dig into it and i think i think it's one of the biggest takeaways not the billion dollar business thing not the all the different ways to go about it i mean certainly there's some great opportunities there if you're so inclined and if you want to do the work and you want to work with bees you know forty thousand um angry female bees that could kill you but um 
nothing to be scared of, right? But I think there's a lot of opportunity there. But I think one of the biggest takeaways from this conversation was, you know, if you find something you're really interested in and you really love, something that just drives you and you're just so captivated by it, you need to go on a journey. Go on a journey. And it might not be traveling the world to Turkey and Egypt and and all Poland and all over the world. Maybe it would be. Maybe. I know people that have done that for genealogy and other things. But if you find that thing you really love and really are interested, go on a journey. Discover. Get into the details. Get into the nitty-gritty. And learn from the experts. Dig deep. And once you've learned, come back and share your knowledge with others. I think that is the biggest takeaway from this part of the conversation. And, uh, you know, I really respect uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah, man crush? I don't know. Come on, guys. But he's an expert. And when you talk to an expert, you recognize um, the skill. You recognize the work that's gone into becoming that expert. Um, and it's something you really appreciate. So I appreciate Michael Jordan coming on the show. Um, you know, that digging deep, that going on a journey. And it really is, you know, if you think about it, it's the essence of small-scale life. You know, major life change um, decided to start documenting this stuff and digging into it and trying to share knowledge. Learning new skills and practicing those skills and, and growing those skills and then sharing those skills with others. Those all part of the core values here at Small Scale Life. So um, I really have to thank Michael Jordan for being on the show uh, and spending time with us. Um, I have to thank Drew Sample and Greg Burns. But really, Drew Sample, thank you, man, for connecting us. You too, Greg. You're awesome, man, and providing questions. Uh, you guys are great. I can't wait to be with all three of you at Hogtoberfest 2017. Oh, that'll be a lot of fun. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this episode. I, We here at Small Scale Life, we really appreciate you. We love your engagement. Um, please like this episode, share it around, really think about it. You know, think about some of the elements that, that he talked about, that we talked about. Um, you know, share this with others, because maybe there's somebody that just even doesn't even think about bees and doesn't even really you know, is looking for an opportunity, looking for a new start. And there's a lot of different ways you can go. I mean, the bee co-op, the honey co-op, man, that sounds really cool. I mean, phew, you know, that a lot of businesses have been in place, started as co-ops, and they've turned into really, really neat operations. So anyway, share this with others, please. Um, get the word out there. And uh, I've got two more episodes of Michael Jordan. I think they're going to be great. And I really hope that you come back and listen to those. Uh, so my message to you this weekend, 4th of July weekend, please get out there and try something new. Start your own journey and be, to become an expert in something. You can do it. A journey of a million miles begins with a single step. So take that single step this weekend. Follow Michael Jordan's advice and his example. And be friendly, right? So there's a ton of links. If you want to hear more about Michael Jordan, please see the podcast show notes. I've got links to all kinds of stuff, including his class on Permaethos, um, Jack, uh, Be Friendly Company, Underground Meadery for learning mead. We're going to make some mead with Michael. 
So stay tuned. You're going to want to be there for that show in the future. Uh, and then also Drew Sample, his he's Michael's been on there several times. Um, Jack Spurko, Survival Podcast, he's been on there several times. Um, and even uh, Diego Footer's Permaculture Voices uh, website, he's got some podcasts there too. So absorb, learn, do, grow, start that journey, begin with that single step. And remember, we're always here for you. Remember to always learn, do, and grow. This is Tom from The Small Scale Life. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody. Have a great 4th of July weekend. Happy Father's Day for last week. and missed that. And summer solstice. Woohoo! But everybody have a great 4th of July. Stay safe, and we'll catch you next week, okay? Take care. Um, we'll see you soon. <laughs>